0: Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm looking for a, a place to eat, movie to watch, or a restaurant, I often look at the reviews of the critics. And there's a website called Rotten Tomatoes. Anybody ever hear of that? They, they um, critique movies. Now, I don't always trust the critics, but I look for what, what they determine to be the greatest movie of all time. Here's how they described it. A timeless family classic. The most magical movie ever. A cultural touchstone for generations of Americans. And how about this one? One of Hollywood's quintessential productions, probably the most beloved fantasy film of all time, and the ultimate family picture. The movie, The Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Great movie, a classic, endured for a long, long time. Uh, did, did things with, uh, before all the CGI and computer um, engineered graphics and special effects and all that. A phenomenal movie. You know, I looked up for, for restaurants. I like Mexican food, so I just looked up Mexican restaurants. One of the highest rated ones is a little Mexican place right around the corner from the church. It's a couple miles away called El Super Taco. Ever been there? Okay, here's some descriptions uh, that were on Yelp. Yelp gives reviews of restaurants. So, Here's some descriptions of El Super Taco. Amazing, authentic, delicious, excellent, my favorite, fresh, the best, super incredible, greasy, now that was a compliment. Okay, that, someone said that, they love that, greasy. Best breakfast burritos ever. You know, positive words like that can uh, make you start to drool. Like, I want to go there for lunch today. But you know, when you read a negative one, You know, you're looking for a hotel and it says noisy, damp, smelly. You're not going there. Words are powerful. And we've been in this series called Words with Friends. Today we're wrapping up this series, but we've been looking at the power of words because the Bible says that the power of life and death is in the tongue and that we eat the fruit of our words, that your life is better or worse because of the words that come out of your mouth. Unfortunately, many of us, and and I am a big culprit of this, trip over our words. You can almost tell the shoe size by measuring someone's mouth because you put your foot in so often. So I want to read to you from James chapter 6, a verse we read at the very beginning of this series. But this is just one of the verses. James says the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. I think the most lethal weapon in the entire world is the tongue. The tongue can sever relationships. The tongue can crush the human spirit. The tongue can be a very wicked tool in our mouths. And unless we allow the Holy Spirit to filter our words, to guide our speech, we can can really ruin people through what we say or how we say it. I had a very good friend of mine when I lived in Arizona. And this friend... um, would tell jokes once in a while about his wife. And he would say things like, my wife treats me like a god. Yeah, she, she gives me burnt offerings every night. My, and then he'd say, my wife's an angel, always in the air harping about something. And after he'd say those jokes, he'd go, ha, ha. He'd start laughing, and the rest of the room would laugh, except for one person, his wife. And you could just watch her smile, but just shrivel up inside because of his words. Words have the power to devastate a relationship. They can heal, but they can also hurt. They can build up. They can also break down. A woman emailed me this week, and she said, Pastor, thank you for this series, because I've, I've realized how really bad I've been by the things that come out of my mouth, but God is starting to change me, and that's really the key. The key is to, to look at how God can get a hold of this instrument that, that the Bible says is, is like a fire out of control, can tame the tongue and allow it to be used for good. And what I want to talk about today is how to replace the lethal with life-giving. How to replace the lethal things that come out of our mouth, the, the hurtful things that come out of our mouth, and allow our mouths to be life-giving. And so we're going to look at six areas today where, where many of us struggle and what we can do to overcome those areas of struggle. So before we do that, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts and show us, Lord, the areas where our tongues have gotten out of control. And Lord, that we would intentionally, consciously, and prayerfully lay that before you and allow those tongues to be used for beautiful things, good things, things that will bless people and things that will honor you, Father. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first one, we're going to go through these six real quickly. Number one, instead of deceit, I will speak truth. Now, if you've got a um, a bulletin with you, you might jot some things down. There'll be things that aren't in your notes that we'll add in here. But um, we're going to look at a lot of these scriptures, kind of fly through them. But the scriptures have some very pointed statements about the mouth. And here's one from Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 8. The tongue is a deadly arrow. It speaks deceitfully. We learn at a very young age to lie. I think it's the very first sin that, that people struggle with. You know, you, you look at your little two-year-old and, and you ask them a question and, they, and they, what do they do? They say, I didn't do that. You know, sister did it. You know, they lie. Do you know, do you know what happened to this, that thing? Mm-mm, mm-mm. And you learn at a very young age. It's the, it's the first sin we struggle with. And it's not surprising because the Bible says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. And really, when you lie, you're speaking a foreign language that you weren't meant to speak. You're speaking a demonic language because it is the language of the devil to lie and deceive. You know, I remember back in second grade when I was, was very impressionable, wanting to be liked by others, and I, I remember the day when someone came up to me and they said, your dad's name is Gordon, right? I said, yes, my dad's name is Gordon. They said, is he Commissioner Gordon from Batman? And I could tell from the enthusiasm that I wanted so bad for him to be that guy that I said, yeah, he is. She goes, that's incredible. And I said, yeah, it is. I went home saying, what did I just do? Because I wanted to come across well, and we lie a lot when we want to impress other people. It's like when we see what they want to hear from us, we actually fabricate our stories. And it happens all through childhood. We find ourselves in positions where lying is like this magical force. If I tell a lie, it causes an effect in another person. Cause them to smile or cause them to, to let go of their anger toward me. It caused them to leave me alone. You know, as a kid, parents would ask questions like, where were you? Did you take the candy? And you know, at school, where's the homework? Or in, in high school? What'd you do for the weekend? Or what did you do on your date? And you're and you're caught in these positions where you want to make something up or Or fabricate a story to sound interesting and fun and lovable and cool, and it's not the truth. You know, marriage has a lot of opportunities for lying. Where were you? Where did you spend that money? Ever get that one? What's this receipt for? What did you do all day, honey? Did you come straight home? What were you looking at on the computer? Now, all these situations we find ourselves in that we feel a little uncomfortable, but if I just shade the truth a bit, I can get off the hook. I can come across as as a pretty good person. I, I can be perceived as hardworking and faithful and loyal and honest. But you know, it's the language of the devil. In the early church, there was a time when some people came before the church and said, we sold this piece of property. And we're bringing it to give to the church to distribute to people in need. But the problem was, they didn't give all of what they'd sold. They had indicated they'd given everything, but they hadn't. And so there was a judgment that came upon them. And Peter approached this couple, their names Ananias and Sapphira, and he said this, How is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied? Lies do not come from God. They come from our enemy. Ephesians 4 verse 25 says what we should do instead. It says, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. It says in 1 Peter 3, verse 10, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. God blesses the tongue that speaks truth. So replace deceit with speaking the truth. Secondly, instead of boasting, give praise. Instead of boasting, give praise. Around 20 years ago, a psychologist from the University of Texas named James Pennebaker was very intrigued by conversations and set up a computer program actually to analyze the conversations that people had with one another. And his students became very fascinated by the results of the study. He actually wrote a book called The Secret Life of Pronouns. And here's what he discovered that when two people spoke to one another and one was of a higher level of authority than another, maybe a teacher to a student, a boss to an employee, coach to a team player on a team, when there was a level of authority, here's what he discovered. The person with the lower status used the word I far more than the person with the higher status. In other words, the person with the lower status would talk about themselves much more Because there was a feeling of I need to build myself up to your level. I need to, I need to encourage my self-esteem. I need you to know what I think about myself. But the people at the higher level talk more about the other person than themselves. And I want to ask you, in your conversations, are there more I statements than you statements? Because that says a lot about us. Who's most important? The boasting of our own ideas, opinions, accomplishments, desires, possessions, experiences. Well, boasting is a symptom oftentimes of a proud heart. Paul described a, the picture of people in the last days in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And here's what he says. Next scripture, please. Or is it locked? There it is. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud. That's a sign of people who are drifting from God. You see a lot of that in athletes? See that in politicians? You know, sometimes we can see it in ourselves. There's a story in the Old Testament of a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. He was a king. And the book of Daniel describes his downfall, and it was his pride, In the fourth chapter, Daniel has a vision, and he tells how it applies to King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the king had built this incredible palace, and it says here, um, 12 months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Sounds like a pretty big head, right? God's judgment came upon him. He was driven from his palace. He went out in the wild and became like a beast. His his fingernails grew long. His hair grew long for many years until he repented of his pride and humbled himself and acknowledged that God is the one who puts kings in the position of authority. That God is the one who gives favor. That it is not himself who put himself there. You know, it's very dangerous for us when we look at our lives and start to boast about our accomplishments because who gave you those skills? Who gave you that opportunity? Uh, how, how, how fortunate you are to be born in the place that you're born, to be in the economic conditions that you're in. When you look around the world, that, that sometimes we just are lucky to be who we are and where we are. And it's God's favor that has fallen upon us, and we just have to give God thanks and credit. You know, sometimes it's even... It's even borderline for us as parents because, well, we don't want to boast about ourselves, but we want to boast about our kids. Have you ever seen those bumper stickers, my kid made the honor roll? Now, I know there's, there's a part of us that just wants to celebrate, and that's good. But when does celebration cross the line? Like in the NFL, they, they don't allow um, end zone dances and all that anymore. They get too extravagant. They cross the line and become taunting. And so... You want celebrating, you don't want taunting. You want people to say, hey, I won, but you don't want people to say, I won and you lost. Na 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 na. We don't like that. Nobody likes that. And I wonder sometimes if we put ourselves on the other shoe. I mean, what if you have a son or daughter that really probably will never make the honor roll? How does that make you feel? I mean, what if we drove into the church parking lot and you saw cars and, and there was a car that says, my kid got baptized? My teenager's still a virgin. You know, are we going to say what are they doing? Um, We we have to step back sometimes and ask ourselves why. Why am I celebrating publicly? Why am I putting the word out there for the whole world to know? Is it because I want people to think better of me? I want people to know how good I did and you know raising my child. Is it is it about me rather than them? We have to ask ourselves, why? What is the motive behind it? Do I want people to glory in me? Because some might gag. Or do we want people to thank God for what he's done in that person's life? Really, I, I think that's the best thing, when we can redirect that phrase to God. Thank God for what he's done in our lives. Honestly, when I've looked at the scripture of what we are to brag about, what we are to boast about, there's only one thing, and it's the Lord. In Jeremiah Chapter 9, verses 23, 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these things I delight. I know the Lord, and he's good, and he's great, and I hope that you would know him. Boast about the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 11.30, here's something worth boasting about. Here's what Paul said. If I must boast, I'll boast of the things that show my weakness. What I can't do, what I'm incapable of, but what God can do through me in my weakness. Paul said in another place, here's something worth boasting about. May I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I want to boast about. That he is Lord That he is the one worthy of all praise. Instead of boasting, give praise. Instead of gossip, speak grace. In March of 1981, Gary Gray, who is chairman of United Technologies, a leading national defense contractor, ran a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal. And here's what his ad said. The snake that poisons everybody. It topples governments, wrecks marriages, ruins careers, bursts reputations, causes heartaches, nightmares, indigestion, spawns suspicion, generates grief, and dispatches innocent people to cry in their pillows. Even its name hisses. It's called gossip. Office gossip. Party gossip. It makes headlines and headaches. Before you repeat a story, ask yourself, is it true? Is it fair? Is it necessary? If not, shut up. We live in a culture, unfortunately, that loves dirty laundry. We love, the, we love the tabloids. We love the tabloid TV programs. that talk about all the celebrity juicy news. And we have this hunger for it. There's something about gossip that seems to taste so good. Sometimes we can even read rants on Facebook. I was reading something the other day. I was embarrassed to read a, a couple sharing their, their marital fight on Facebook for the whole world to see. It's like TMI, too much information. We don't need to know that. Fortunately, those of us in the church know better. We don't gossip. We share prayer concerns. We we share things that God ought to be caring about. Now, sometimes, to be honest, it's hard to know when we're gossiping or not. When we're sharing information about someone or concern, how do we know when it's gossip? But I, I do know this. You know it's gossip when other people are talking and your name's in it. Don't you know it? then, like, hey, hey, I, I should be included in that conversation. That's a good test, that if the person were in the other room and heard you talking and you'd feel a little bit sheepish about it, you're, you're probably gossiping. Rick Warren has a definition. He says, when we are talking about a situation with someone who is neither part of the problem or part of the solution, we are probably gossiping. Another test. If we aren't driven to pray about it, it's probably gossip. If sharing the news does not drive us to our knees, it's probably gossip. If we're talking more about the issue to other people than talking to God about the issue, it's probably gossip. Most of the time, it's none of our business. The Bible says a lot about gossip. Proverbs 11, verse 13 a gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Chapter 16, verse 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Chapter 10, verse 18. Whoever conceals hatred with lying lips and spreads slander is a fool. Then James four eleven. Do not speak evil against one another. Gossip is condemned in Scripture. I think in place of gossip, we ought to give grace. Instead of thinking the worst of other people, we ought to be thinking the best. Even if the gossip is true, we ought to put our hand up and say, you know what, I don't know if I need to know that. Uh, Or I don't really know if that's true. Let's not talk about it until we know if it's true or not. But at the bottom line, is it really any of our business? We have to ask ourselves, why am I saying this? To make the other person look bad, to make myself look good, to stir up controversy. You know what? I found that it's really okay that if something ends up being true, that you're the last to know. I remember in high school, there was a rumor that one of the girls in my youth group was pregnant. I didn't like it. I knew this girl. She was a good friend of mine, and there's no way that she was pregnant. Truth is, she was. She was pregnant. But you know, I wanted to give her the benefit of the doubt. And I didn't want to join in the gossip that was being spread about her because I wanted to protect her reputation. I'd rather be the last to know the truth than to be one who's spreading falsehood and and verbal harm to someone else. Instead of gossip, give grace. Practice the golden rule. Talk about others as you would like them to talk about you. Instead of cursing, give a blessing. Instead of cursing, give a blessing. James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, we go back to James. He says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing, my brothers and sisters. This should not be. You are made to do both. You were made to praise, to bless, not to curse. And cursing is something that's, that's very common. Now, we often think of cursing as cussing. And, and, and there is a difference there. Now, Cussing often is a result of cursing. But cursing is to want God's judgment on someone. And and where it really began is is even a biblical phrase called damnation. And then when you put God's name in front of that and curse someone, what you're saying is you want that person to experience the, the fierce judgment of God. That's a curse. That's a very heavy thing to put on someone. And that is not our prerogative. And you know what? You can't blast out curses without getting a little bit of it on yourself. It's like a fountain that begins to flow, the spray comes back on you. Listen to what David wrote in Psalm 109. Da- David's talking about those who curse, and he says, this this these people, he says, He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. That this person who is cursing others was so covered with, the, with, with the, the spit of his own curses that it was soaking into his own clothing, into his own soul. You cannot be a person that curses without cursing yourself. And the, contra- and the opposite's true. If you're, if you're about blessing other people, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3, Verse nine, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with a blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. When you're blessing others, you are blessed. It, it comes back, it's like it spills over onto you. When you're uh, in the traffic and someone cuts you off and you want to say something very cursing-like to that person that cut you off, say, you know what, that wasn't right, but God bless you. God bless you. Your kids will be amazed, for one. When things don't work out for you at your job, you're angry with your boss, you have an opportunity to bless instead of curse. When that ex-spouse of yours hurts you, you have an opportunity to bless instead of curse. The Bible says don't give them what they've done to you. Bless them. When the referee blows the call, And your game, and your team loses, you bless that guy. Don't curse him. Because you are blessed when you give a blessing. Instead of harshness, number five, speak kindly. Now, this isn't so much what you say, but how you say it. And I would have to say, this is probably one of my biggest sins. Of saying things that come across to those that I love very dearly as hurtful. Particularly my wife and my kids. And we live in a generation that's become very comfortable in speaking harsh words. Some things people say are so brutal, they make you blush. They make you flinch. We're in the season of political conversations. I shouldn't even say conversations, because it's not really a conversation. It's just blasting. You turn on a station, and they're just blasting the different political candidates. Very unkind, very harsh, angry, sharp, biting, critical tones. You know, sometimes it comes across in sarcasm. Now, I, I kind of like sarcasm. It, it's, it's a form of humor that we can find very funny. It's really found in many of the TV shows we like, many of the comedians we like to listen to. Groucho Marx, for example, said, I never forget a face, but in your case, I'd be glad to make an exception. You know, that's sarcasm. And we laugh at that. But you know what, when it comes to really hurt us and haunt us is when we throw it in the midst of an intense discussion. Like we're in an argument with our spouse, and all of a sudden we zing. Sarcasm becomes the words with barbs. It's like we, we stab and we twist. You're just like your father. You're just like your mother. You always get that way. And, and we, we push those buttons through sarcasm. We know if I, if I just push that button, I'm going to get a big reaction. So through with our sarcastic response, we push the button you know that the tv show house dr house i mean that's his whole character is built on that and here's a picture of him with this definition of sarcasm the use of irony to mock or convey contempt yeah it's funny but it's like a stealth weapon kind of sneaks in zings accomplishes the goal we want but it can be very hurtful you know, and we let that slip out so often. You know, someone makes a decision in our lives or something happens and we say, Great, just what I needed. You know, we, we know we're being sarcastic in the response, or someone in the room states something that's pretty obvious. Brilliant deduction, Sherlock. When someone does something wrong, smooth move, well played. Aren't you special? You know Those are all sarcastic comments, and they don't aid to solving any issue. It just makes us feel better, but it really doesn't help. And it becomes a form of speaking unkindly. Proverbs 12, 18. Proverbs 12, 18 says, The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You need to be careful with our words. In chapter 15, verse 4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Notice the soothing tongue, the kindness in the words, the, the tone of voice, speak kindly. Ecclesiastes nine seventeen. The quiet words of the wise are more to be heeded than the shouts of the ruler of fools. So speak with kindness rather than harshness in our words. I've heard that it's better to be thought of as a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Loud, harsh, sarcastic words accomplish far less than kind, thoughtful, soft words. And then finally, instead of grumbling, give gratitude. Give gratitude. Th- this is more than just an optimism versus pessimism thing. And, you know, I like being optimistic people who see that the glass, you know, when you've got a, a glass that's, that's, that's half full, that's what the optimist sees. Wow, got a, got a half a glass there. Pessimist says what? It's half empty. But you know what the grumbler says? There's a smudge on the glass and a small chip holding this tepid water that's probably contaminated, and now I'm going to get sick. Why does this always happen to me? That's the, that's the grumbler, the complainer. You know, always finds the worst and applies it to themselves. They look at every situation. You go, isn't it a beautiful sunny day? Yeah, it's going to be so hot today. You know, isn't it a nice crisp morning? Oh, it's so freezing. I hate cold mornings. You know, they're always seeing the, the negative thing and grumbling about it, and it just brings the, the atmosphere so down, and some of us are perpetual grumblers, always finding the things to nitpick about, never being truly happy. But you know, grumbling isn't just about us and how we feel. When you grumble, it actually says something about the God who's provided for you. And I think that's the biggest issue with this and why God takes this so seriously. God is bothered by grumbling. In John chapter 6 where Jesus fed 5,000 people, you'd think the people would have been happy. But he tells them in that section of Scripture, John 6 verse 43, do not grumble among yourselves. Do not do that. Why are you grumbling? I just just fed you. And it flashes back to the Old Testament when they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and God provided this food called manna, a, a sweet flaky bread-like substance that they would kind of harvest every morning and they would eat manna for breakfast lunch and dinner It, it, it provided all the nutrients they really needed and god was carrying them through these 40 years in the desert through manna but you know what they began to do they began to grumble we don't like manna it's getting old if we could go back and have the fish and the leeks and the onions we used to have back in egypt those were the good old days those were the good old days, and we had stuff back then. But what they weren't realizing was God was providing for them in a different way. This wasn't just about physical food. It was about spiritual food, about the development of their faith. And I think oftentimes the very point you're grumbling about is the point where God is trying to grow your faith and character. And we say, God, you know, uh, you know I, I hate this home I live in. I, God, I'm just so tired of driving this old car all the time. I'm I'm tired of of dating and not working out. Here I am. It's just, you know, my life goes on. I'm getting old. You know, we find things to grumble about our marriages and about our homes and about our jobs and about our physical health and about the the government and the weather. Perpetual complaining. But I believe it displeases God. In fact, in Philippians 2.14, Paul says, do everything without what? Grumbling or arguing. Do everything Just a little? No, none. Well, can I can I grumble about my wife's food? No, no, off limit. No grumbling. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. You know, God took it so seriously that in the Old Testament, because of their persistent grumbling, He actually sent a death angel, caused many of them to die because of their consistent grumbling. What's the solution for grumbling? Is to have a heart of gratitude. First Thessalonians. Thessalonians 5.18. says, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't say we're thankful for everything. It just says be thankful in everything. You know, I've learned over the years that, that there is so much to be thankful for. Even in the midst of things we, we might be encouraged to grumble about, I'm thankful I have a job. I'm thankful I have a wife who's faithful to me. I'm thankful I have a house that keeps me warm and allows me protection. I'm thankful that there's food in the refrigerator. I and mean, how often do we stand in front of the refrigerator and we grumble when it's full? We grumble. There are people all over this world who say, I'll trade you in a heartbeat to stand in front of a refrigerator like that. If you go on a mission trip, go to a third world country, it opens your eyes to how blessed we really have it. And all of a sudden, you don't grumble as much when you realize how much we have. Be thankful. Give God gratitude for what he's provided. Words are like toothpaste. Once they come out, we cannot pull them back. But what we can do is overcome them by exchanging the bad words, the troubling words, the, the words that cause difficulty and heartache with better words, words that give life. If we would just think before we speak. In fact, I want to give you an acrostic to, re, to remember sometimes, to think before you speak. The T is to ask yourself, is it true? Is what I'm saying true? H, is it honoring? Is it honoring to the person? Is it honoring to God in what I'm saying? Is it inspiring? Does it lift people up? Does it bring life? Is it necessary? Do I really need to be talking about this? And is it kind? Is it kind? Dorothy Neville said, the real art of conversation is not only to say the right thing, In the right place, but to leave unsaid the wrong thing at the tempting moment. How often we've let our tongues get us into trouble because we said the wrong thing. The wrong moment. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 23. This is a good verse to remember as we wrap up this series. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. You know, God can redeem our lives. And He redeems our soul. When we surrender to Jesus, He redeems that. But then God goes through the rest of our lives redeeming every part of our lives individually. And at some point in our lives, we've got to surrender this instrument called the tongue because it's so powerful. We can speak life with it. We can encourage people. We can praise God. We can pray for others. We can confess Jesus. We can repent of our sins. We, we can apologize to those that we've wronged. Let these mouths be mouths that are sweet, filled with goodness, a stream that's been purified by the help of the Lord God, who through the Holy Spirit has allowed us now to use these tongues for beautiful things. So it's just so fitting that we close today by practicing what we preach, to give God thanks for all the many blessings. I don't know how many blessings, but there's, there's got to be at least 10,000 reasons for giving God thanks, and we're going to lift up our voices and praise him for that today. So would you stand with me as we lift up our voices, not in grumbling, but in gratitude. Well, Father, we thank you for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that even on the cross you spoke good words. You spoke words of blessing over us. Lord, may we as believers allow you to purify our mouths, Father, and use these for, to be a source of giving life to our children to our spouses, to our friends, to even our enemies, Father. You tell us to bless and not curse those who persecute us. And so, Father, we thank you that you've redeemed us. And, Lord, forgive us for all those sins we've committed. We look back on the lies, the hurtful things, the gossip, the grumbling. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness, and we ask you to make us new. Use our mouths for your glory and praise in Jesus' name. All God's people said... Amen, amen. Before you leave, give someone some love, give a blessing, give some encouragement. Let's use our mouths to do good today. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.